Hey everybody, this is Brad Bruce and I'm here with Jace Marsiglia. And you are listening to the 5195 Podcast. How are you, sir? I'm doing good, my man. A little sleep deprived. Yeah. Been a busy week. We've been going continuously. Kind of burning the candle at both ends yeah. a little bit. For those that don't know, I actually, I am here in California. I've been here for two weeks. I found a way through my job to do my day job, clear out here on the West Coast, and still find time to podcast, write, hang out, catch movies. And boy, I am going to collapse when I get home tomorrow. Holy I shit. Get it. That's but awesome. It's, it's been productive to it, say the least it has i'm super pleased with the last couple of weeks and the way they've gone you yeah know, and the things that we've been able to accomplish it just it further proves that even with two weeks which i was like damn i've never been out here that long yeah it's done in a flash i it mean was quick i did have lapses where i was just like i, I really miss my family i'm getting yeah. homesick but we were busy enough that i didn't dwell and now it's over i mean just like that and boy, did we bank a lot of shows for you we did. guys. And speaking of that, I think we have another really fun show today. Yeah, I believe so too. This one came up in conversation, I believe. Yeah. And we just, we added it to the board. Um, and so today's topic uh, is going to be film soundtracks. Mm -hmm. Basically our favorite ones. Just kind of go-tos. Yeah. Yeah. That we actually listen to outside of just watching the movie. Right. These yeah. are things that will that are in rotation. Oh, yeah. That we listen to. No, the ones I was thinking of, I've literally just, I've taken the CD to my car. Remember CDs, kids? <laughs> I will listen to these driving to work or you know, yeah. cruising around, getting dinner or whatever. Yeah. But these are my go-tos. There's more than we could even talk about. With, there's not enough time. Yeah. And being able to pick a favorite one is like trying to choose your favorite kid not just that but like you said before the show you and i probably agree on most of them yeah so trying to like i don't know which ones brad's picked he doesn't know which ones i've picked but we kind of made a list so that so we're not overlapping and using the, the our time yeah wisely so i've thrown in some ones that i haven't even really thought about in a while, just in case I have to make that pivot. And if listeners have been here since the beginning, mm -hmm. they're not going to be shocked at mine because I am a creature of habit. Or mine. <laughs> so I'm very predictable. And I'm pretty sure they are in agreement with these, some of these choices. You know what would be cool, provided that certain soundtracks, it's a little spotty for soundtracks on this medium, but... What if we made a playlist and put it on Spotify? That'd be cool. Yeah. You know, the uh, 5195 soundtrack episode playlist. Yeah. That'd be cool. That is kind of cool. But yeah. That's, but, I, but I mentioned that because I've noticed, particularly with Spotify, soundtracks are very spotty. I've noticed, oh, yeah. especially ones that are not scores, but like various artists, people kind of Frankenstein lists together from other albums mm -hmm. because... For whatever reason, the album's just not available on Spotify. Right. One of the ones we were talking about, The Shining, not on Spotify. Nope. And the songs that were on Spotify, at least when I had them on a playlist, have been grayed out. So they've since been pulled. The Exorcist is another one. The soundtrack's just not there. You can listen to Tubular Bells, which is the theme, but kind of hard to track down. Which is, again, it reinforces what Brad and I were talking about episodes back about physical media. I'd much prefer to be able to just yank the CD or vinyl off the shelf, 
and spin it at my leisure for that very reason. Because who knows? You could have the soundtrack for years online, streaming, and a licensing issue happens, and now you don't have it anymore. Yep. So it kind of sucks. Um, you want to go first? Sure. You want to just get the obvious one out of the way. John Harrison's Creep Show. Now, for the first time, the masters of horror, Stephen King, author of Carrie, Cujo, and The Shining, and George A. Romero, creator of Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead, have teamed up to make a movie that will give you the creeps. Creep Show. The most fun you'll ever have being scared. Rated R. Under 17, not admitted without parent. In all fairness, it's on my list too. Is it? Yes. Uh, f- to be honest, it was... I've, I've mentioned before I love the blending of piano pounding and synth. And uh, it's to me, it's just as iconic a theme as Carpenter's Halloween or Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, or Harry Manfredini's Friday. It's just that recognizable. It's immediately recognizable, especially if you're a fan. Right. Um, But if I could go a smidge deeper, the track that stands out to me the most, and it's it it kind of, it's because it pairs with the movie so well. It's when John Harrison does kind of a darker medley on Camp Town Races. Okay. And something to tide you over. There's the shot, because it's, it, you know, it's that boom, 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 boom. It starts like that, but then the synth kicks in, and there's a moment where, as the tide's coming in, and it it hits the television, and Ted Danson sees his girlfriend, Galen Ross, fizzle out on the TV. What John does with that synth, he gives it this beautiful, but almost sad, woeful, medley that kind of goes up and down and even talking about it right now it makes my hair stand up because at that moment strangely enough he's officially alone yeah granted he's watching his girlfriend drown on a television but when her image disappears the isolation hits now you don't even have your significant other suffering with you you're alone and you're drowning and the way john plays with those notes during that moment it's so haunting and it's beautiful at the same time of all the tracks. I love every track on the soundtrack, but that's, that's the track that I go to a lot. Just yeah. cause it, it's emotionally resonant, you know? No, it is. It, it's just as big a character as the characters themselves. 100%. And he did it on a lark, I think. Cause I, I want to say Romero usually used library music. Right. For most of his movies, Dawn. I mean, granted he used Goblin. Yeah. But there's a whole soundtrack of library music that goes to Dawn and Night and all that. Um, he was just going to use library cues and there's a lot of library cues in Creepshow. Yeah. But John Harrison was like, let me take a crack at the, at a theme. Yeah. And George loved the theme. And he was like, you want to do more? Yeah. And he was like, sure. And most of the movie is, basically every story has its own character musically. Right. And it's it's great. It's not just the same theme that permeates the movie and goes up and down. Each story has its own weird sound. Yep. Particularly, uh, they're creeping up on you. Yes. Which just sounds like a Jacob's Ladder. It sounds like electricity. It goes up and down. Yeah. it's it's so weird, and it, it, when you're in the car listening to it, and it starts going crazy with that, you just you could hear the the little feet of roaches crawling everywhere. Yeah. You know? 
So it's he. It's a beautiful, beautiful soundtrack. I yeah. love Creep Show so much. They are all very different. Very. It's each story is its own mood, and John finds it completely captured. Time. It. Even Jordy Verrill, It's such a goofy story, and the soundtrack reflects it. It does. That yeah. story out of all of them probably has the most library cues, but the the wonky synth to that one it gives it the cartoonish flavor that yeah the short has the haphazard yeah, yeah it's just kind of goofy and uh i think part of what makes the movie scary i've always said that creep show moves up mm-hmm. the first two stories father's day and jordy Verrill, i think give you a false sense of security oh this is just funny yeah by something to tide you over the for lack of a better term the tides change yeah because this is a darker story. It's not as funny. It's a little bit scarier. And then the stories after that, the crate and the bugs, it just keeps getting worse and worse. And he ramps the soundtrack up with it. And to me, the movie gets scarier and more serious. Granted, every story's got its laughs, of course. Right. But arguably, something to tide you over the crate and they're creeping up on you are more aggressively frightening yes. than the two that made you think this was just going to be a comedy. Yep. So I, the soundtrack is pivotal, yes. in my opinion, I, to what makes Creepshow what it is. I totally agree. Um, so one for me that's going to come as a big shock mm-hmm. is E.T. Extraordinary, imaginative, enchanting, touching, exhilarating, timeless. The summer's best movie. This is what critics and audiences alike are saying about Steven Spielberg's E.T., the extraterrestrial. The movie Gene Shalit said should be seen again and again. E.T., the extraterrestrial rated PG parental guidance suggested of course I know what it but on. it's what a rousing score that is yes like that theme immediately recognizable yep. and it sends you flying mm-hmm. it really does yeah it it literally for me it just it's just the complete package yeah you know it yeah it I love every single track and you can listen to every track and know what scene it is without yes. even looking at the title. 100%. You know where it's at, you know, and of course that's just the the genius of John Williams and mm-hmm. what he's able to do. Um, one thing that I really wanted to do, and I don't know if he's going to do it again or not, but I was actually out of town when it happened. John Williams had played at the Hollywood Bowl Oh wow. and he had done E.T. while showing the movie. So he's on stage conducting the orchestra while E.T. was playing. And it was like so heartbreaking because I'm seeing people I know posting pictures. Oh, man. And I was out of town and it's like, oh, I hope he does it again. Having this experience that I'm not. Yeah. Oh, oh and especially it's like, you know, it's hometown. You know, it's it's Hollywood Bowl. Yeah. You know, it's like, God, this is one of those things where it's like, am I ever going to get a chance to see this? Mm, but yeah, boy. it's just, it is, it's, it's, so relatable to my childhood. Yeah. I don't even have to watch the movie, but hearing the soundtrack, I'm able to just feel that way. It transports you immediately. Yeah. And what I like about it is being the next movie after Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh-huh. William still has a little bit of that adventure. Mm-hmm. There, there's a little bit of that menace. Yeah. And uh, the part I'm, I'm really thinking of especially is uh just before the bike goes flying when you see the cops with the guns yep it, that's when you get a little bit of that touch of raiders in there where yeah. it's like ooh danger danger yeah and then once they bounce right off the hoods and fly yeah the theme kicks in yep. and it's just it's it's amazing yeah it's unmistakably spielberg williams oh yeah especially know. like seeing it in the theater 
you know, if I do get a chance, whenever it plays to see it in a theater, it's like, it'll still bring a tear to my eye. That sure. moment when they're flying. It's amazing. Yeah. It's it, so- it, and it, again, like Will, like uh, Harrison and the Creep Show, obviously to a lesser degree, Williams has a way of taking a amazing moment and just knocking it out of the park with the way it uplifts. Yeah, fantastic soundtrack. No, that's that's a good way to put it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really do like. I actually that. don't have that soundtrack. Et? Actually, I take that back. I think one of the DVD sets they do I've got come with it. Yeah, that one comes with it. The big one. It, right? Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So then I I have it you, there. Yeah, you do. I was gonna say. Don't say that. Yeah, no. I've got I've got a lot of John Williams stuff at home, but yeah. I, I was thinking of it more in terms of is it on my soundtrack rack and it's, right. it's not. Yeah. It's part of the gift set. Okay. What else you got? Um, this one's a little off the beaten path. Tales from the Crypt's Demon Knight. A stranger is coming. Don't scream. And he's hungry for their souls. Just hear what I've got to say. Now, they're fighting the most dangerous evil of all. Tales from the Crypt presents Demon Knight Rated R. Starts Friday. Okay. Now, this one's not a score. Right. This one is a compilation album. The various artist stuff. But this was mid-90s. And me, in the early 90s, I was just getting into the metal scene. Okay. Uh, I kind of bypassed the entire grunge phase. Okay. Uh, while everyone was listening to like Nirvana and Pearl Jam, I was looking for harder stuff. Mm-hmm. The horror fan in me was like, ooh, a Tales from the Crypt soundtrack. So I grabbed it. I hadn't even seen the movie. When I got it, that soundtrack is what introduced me to Pantera. <laughs> With Cemetery Gates, which is oh, a masterpiece. Yep. You got Diadems by Megadeth. There's Machine Head. And of course, Hey Man, Nice Shot by mm-hmm. Filter, which was, I believe, the opening credits of the movie. It yeah. was kind of the main theme. I wore that. I got the cassette, and I wore that tape the fuck out. Yeah. It was so good. Every track was just aggressive and mean. It's got Biohazard on it, Sepultura. Uh-huh. Uh, just the perfect mix of early to mid 90s metal. Basically, that was the soundtrack that made me go, maybe I should collect more soundtracks. Because in one shot, you could be introduced to potentially anywhere from 10 to a dozen new bands. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? So I was I was big on collecting compilation soundtracks just to expand my band knowledge. Right. Yeah, I was an immediate fan of like Pantera and Megadeth and yeah. stuff like that because yeah. of Demon Knight. It's just, it's a... It's a great metal soundtrack. And I my hair still stands up a little bit when I hear Hey Man, Nice Shot. Oh, for sure. Especially when you find out what it's about. Right. You know, That's, it's yeah, just... Yeah, that backstory is pretty wild. The backstory is nuts, but it, yeah. fits, it fits Demon Knight like a glove. It is such yep. a perfect opening song. Yep. So another one for me, and it's going with like, not really various artists because the, the artists, the characters in the film perform the soundtrack. Okay. And this is 1975's Rocky Horror Picture Show. 20th Century Fox has brought you all kinds of movies. But 20th Century Fox has never before brought you anything like the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I remember doing the time war. The Rocky Horror Picture Show is wonderfully weird. <laughs> It's fabulously freaky. We are ready for the floor show. The story is strange. I knew he was in with a bad crowd, but it was worse than I imagined. The songs are super. Just a sweet transvestite. The cast is completely crazy. (gasps) Oh, Rocker! 
see the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Rated R. Under 17. Not admitted without parent. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I do like musicals. Do you? Yes. And I was fascinated with this film as a kid. First time I saw it, obviously not in 1975, but sure. it was, you know, years later at a theater I was taken and quickly <laughs> ushered out of the theater. Really? Just because the, well, my dad took me to see it. Yeah. And all my dad took from the title was horror. Right. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> we're sitting there, and then as soon as Frankenfurter is sitting in the chair, and he stands up and he whips the cape off, and he's in lingerie, bustier. Yeah. And he like he looks at me, and he's just like, "What the fuck is this?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, I was like, "It's Rocky or a picture show," and he was like. I'm no, good. <laughs> I'm good. So we, we left, but um, <laughs> I was able to get it on VHS when I worked at a video store. Okay, and watch it in its entirety. And I don't know. It was just the, it was just such a fun movie. And uh, you know, I've never seen it to this. Really, day. I'm not a musical guy. Okay, for one, and it was just so garish. Yeah, that I was yes. like, I was like, I don't know if this is even meant for me, like, because the musical thing already kind of put me off. And what's weird is, this is what's strange. I personally, the musicals I like mm -hmm. are pre seventies. For some reason, the showmanship of like Mary Poppins or mm -hmm. White Christmas, Wizard of Oz, there was just something different about musicals up through the fifties and sixties. A vibe. I don't know right. what it is. You, you West Side Story fan? Yeah. Okay. Which is, it, to me, that's funny. Right. Because anything beyond that just feels weird to me when people just break into song. And right. I don't know what it is. I can't explain it. Maybe it's because I watched a lot of those when I was a kid mm -hmm. and had nothing to compare it to. But as I got older and I got more into plots and stuff like that, Seeing someone in the middle of a conversation just spin around to the camera and start singing right. seemed ludicrous to me. Right. And it right. just, it took me out of it. Yeah. Um, that Having said that, though, I want to see Rocky Horror Picture Show, if only because, A, I'm a horror fan, and why not? Yeah. Because it's, it's considered one of the best. It is. But, yeah. B, it's such a cult classic, and people have so much fun dressing up and going mm -hmm. to these events mm -hmm. that I'm like, okay. Yeah. You know, I, I just got to watch it. Now, having said that, are you a fan of, is it Shock Treatment? Yes, shock, I am. Yeah. Is that the name of it? Yeah, it's a, yeah, Shock Treatment. Is it a spiritual sequel or is it just a sequel? Mm, wow, that's a good question. Because I thought I heard at least most of the people came back or at least- the A lot of characters came back. And now it's not as, in my opinion, it's not as good- I've never you heard know because I also I, I also get like the American graffiti more American graffiti kind of a thing where it's mm. like American graffiti is great and then more American graffiti is like eh yeah you know yeah you know if you've never seen Rocky Horror I I definitely recommend watching it just to say I did yeah and then I wouldn't jump immediately into shock treatment unless you find some sort of you know something about it where you're like you know what this is actually really good and and you're into it but if you just watch it and you're like Okay, that was cool. I'm done. I'll probably never watch it again. Don't watch Shock Treatment. Got it. Just saying. You Got know. it. Because, um, because if one didn't sell you, the other's not going right. to either. Yeah, because- uh, I got gotcha. you. 
I think shock treatment's a little more rough around the edges. Hmm. Um, I don't know. I, 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 this is just my opinion, you know. Um, but Rocky Horror Picture Show is just, I don't know. It's just so grandiose. Yeah. And it's so over the top. Mm-hmm. You know, with just the characters and the songs are fucking fantastic. And what I like about the Rocky Horror Picture Show is the soundtrack, when you listen to it, it's exactly how they are in order in the movie. Okay. So, you know, they don't, so when they, don't they break into song, over. no. So when they break into song, like on track one, that's the opening credits. And then, you know, how it goes for, and it was uh, Richard O'Brien who plays Riff Raff that this was his baby. Mm-hmm. And it, every Halloween that it's literally Carpenter's Halloween and I watch The Shining, and I watch Rocky Horror Picture Show. Like, really? That's, those are the three? Those are the three. And like, that's, that's tradition? 100% tradition. And you've maintained it? Oh, yeah. No kidding. Oh, yeah. Very that's cool. a That is a must. I used to watch The Shining. I had a black and white TV mm-hmm. that I used like these UF adapters with the screws to yeah. plug into the back with oh, a yeah. coax and then hooked a VCR to it. Yeah. And that's how I watched The Shining. I had the same TV growing yeah. up. The like exact I, same. I would basically watch it how they showed it on TV. Wow, no yeah. kidding. And and what's funny is the VCR that I had still had a tracking dial. Mm-hmm. So honestly, I know that I fucking sound like a nut, but I would take the tracking and just alter it a bit just to get a slight askew mm. in the the picture. And I had this weird experience of like, I felt like I was a kid watching it on TV. Right. Yeah. It was, and it was like, the sound was bad, but it was just something interesting. Yeah. There was something interesting about watching it on, on that. And then obviously the soundtrack, you know, cause it's for me, that's another soundtrack on my list is the shining. The Shining, a masterpiece of modern horror, directed by Stanley Kubrick, starring Jack Nicholson and Shelley Duvall, rated R, opens Friday, June 13. Check newspapers for local listings. Yeah. I know you're not the biggest Shining fan. No, no but I'm, I, I can appreciate the dread of that movie. Right. And the soundtrack does it, play a it does. major, it, major It really part. does. Like that opening shot with the car going up the mountain and that sound, it's and like... Just the way the credits kind of one at a time pass Yes, yes. It is a very strange, almost otherworldly theme. Yeah, because you literally feel like, what am I about to experience? Yeah. it's Because it's this big shots of all the landscape. Mm -hmm. And I think it was almost, I don't know, I could be like overthinking it maybe the way Kubrick did, but it was like, that was your last bit of freedom. Sure. This is the last Last bit of scenery you're going to have too. Then then the claustrophobia. Yeah. Like sets in. Yeah. You know, and the score just mimics that through the whole thing. I couldn't tell you what the instrument is, but it's, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You being a, a bigger fan even. Um, near the end where it, it almost sounds like, I don't want to say like steel rattles. Right. Shh, yeah. Shh, yeah. Shh, shh. Yep. Um, you know, the, the guy with the bullet hole in his forehead, great uh-huh. party, you know, yeah. that, that theme right. is so unnerving Yeah. compared to any, you know, stinger or, uh-huh. or even a, a low synthy thing. It's just, it doesn't sound like music right and that makes it intimidating yeah you know because yeah. it doesn't sound right yeah and that's 
part of the appeal, I think, is that nothing you're seeing is right. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, I definitely, I'm with you with the soundtrack on The Shining. Yeah. It's not, it's almost just noises. Yes. Yeah. You know, I mean, aside from the main theme, obviously, but, uh, and it adds to the, 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 the mental illness breakdown. Yeah. That he's suffering. It just, it doesn't sound right. Right. You know, it's the kind of thing you would just put your fists against your forehead. Uh huh. You know? Yeah. So yeah, I get that one for sure. Yeah. Was that one on your list too? Yep. Okay. So sorry, I snuck in too. No, that's okay, man. Um, what's funny is I'm about to sneak in too as well. Okay, good. But they're for the same movie. Okay. Okay. So mine, my next one is, uh, the Christine soundtrack. She lives. What do you mean came back? She loves. I'm sorry, Arnie, I can't. She's a beauty. I know you're jealous. She's a beast. The kid was cut in half, Arnie. She's a killer. The riot is over. She's a 58 fury. She's Christine. You ain't mad, are you? Christine. She's hell on wheels. Rated R. Coming soon to a theater near you. By Carpenter and Hoarth. Okay. Okay, so one soundtrack is the score, and then you've got the oldies that Christine actually plays. I absolutely love the synth score. Um, Arnie's love theme. It's poignant. It's beautiful. Uh, Kill Your Kids. Yeah. You you know, just before the football, just after the football game. There's... When you when you really stop and think about the book or the movie, you're like a killer car, and it's and it's not a scary film. No, it's it's intense. It's got intense moments, but to me, the movie is sad. Oh, the movie makes me sad. Yes, it's a beautiful film. It's a great film. Uh, Keith's performance, Keith Gordon. Yes, to watch him go from the most cliche nerd right down to the tape on the glasses to bullheaded greaser with wild eyes you know he he crosses the entire gamut and the way carpenter and hoarth blend the score with his change it's both poignant and sad and slightly menacing in a way that i haven't really heard before or since in a carpenter film okay. because it's very familiar it does there's elements that you're like <laughs> so carpenter yeah you know it feels like halloween three or yeah you know escape from new york but there's no, he does, he, the two of them do things with this soundtrack that I haven't heard to that degree in any of the others. And, um, that's what I love about the score to that one is because it kind of emphasizes the menace and sadness. Uh-huh. And then you've got the songs that appear in the film, um, which are all, you know, oldies. It's all the, with the exception of bad to the bone, but yeah. they're good. The one that stands out to me and it was in back to the future as well. I didn't even notice for years until I started really listening to this song, Pledging My Love by Johnny Ace. I just remember it playing when, I want to say Arnie gets reamed out by the guy whose garage he's keeping Christine in. And you see him get into the car. He just rests his head on the steering wheel. The car plays Pledging My Love. And it's a beautiful song. I've always loved it. It's haunting. It's haunting, but it's like the car's comforting her boyfriend. And it's so sad. It seems weird. It seems kind of pathetic. But just the way he rests his head on the steering wheel and kind of rubs the dash. Yeah. You're like, this poor kid. Uh-huh. This poor, poor kid. And the song makes you feel bad. Yeah. Um, as pretty as it is. But then you get, in my opinion, the best song on the soundtrack, 
a Harlem Nocturne by the Viscounts. Oh, yeah. That's the one that plays when you first see Christi- the show me part. Yeah. When she's putting herself back together, that that sax and that yep. low bass. Yep. It's sexy. It's creepy. It's it's so weird. It's uh, There's nothing burlesque about it, but yeah. at the same time, the car is revealing herself to him in yeah. a weird strippy kind of way. But that old jazzy, you know, I fucking love that song. Yeah. And I, I could just cruise around at night with the windows down listening to Harlem Nocturne. Uh-huh. It's just so good. But yeah, that's that's kind of my twofer for one movie because I feel like the songs they bought for the movie mix perfectly with the score. Yeah. So to me, it's a twofer. You, you, you can't buy one without the other. Right. You got to have them. Yeah. Christine's kind of my, my sneaky twofer for you <laughs> well i have one that you're definitely gonna agree with and I'm, I'm sure it's on your list okay it's 1980s the fog it is night it is cold it is coming can hear my voice. Look into the darkness across the water. Look for the fog. John Carpenter's The Fog. What in the living hell is out there? John Carpenter's The Fog. Coming soon from Avco Embassy Pictures. Now, it is on my list. Yeah, okay. I, so, I kind of figured it would be. So I, Yeah, I fucking now, love it. Here's the weird part. Not that I don't like The Fog, Mm -hmm. because I do, but I love the soundtrack more. I could see that. And I actually listen to the soundtrack more than watching the film. Really? Yes. I will put it on, like if I'm writing a script, Mm. I don't write to songs with lyrics. I write to scores. Okay. Because uh, for some reason, I don't know, maybe it's just, you know, the low capacity brain, but when I'm hearing lyrics... It kind of, I'm like inundated. And so I'm almost like, I can't focus. But with a, with a score, I'm somehow lifted into the mood I'm trying to create. I can see that. And and, and I've done that. You're right. And yeah. with The Fog, I do it a lot. The Fog is more than just being songs. It's ambient. Yeah. It's eerily ambient. And... Like, you you know, a lot of people will not agree with me on this, but I I like The Fog more than Halloween. Okay. And it's not, it's not that I don't like, I absolutely love Halloween. Right. To me, The Fog is Halloween, but with actual ghosts on a nautical setting, which I'm a sucker for. Any mm-hmm. horror that takes place by the water just creeps me out. Mm-hmm. But there's something almost gothic about it. And it's just your perfect, it even starts as a campfire story. And it just, to me, there's something about the fog that hits me in childhood fear Uh than Halloween does. Uh Halloween's very primal. Right. You know, you're just scared. Of course. Whereas the fog really, like a fog would, creeps in slow, Mm -hmm. gets under your skin. And to me, it was just the Halloween plus. Yeah. Having said that, the soundtrack, particularly Real Nine... Okay. Which I think is my, might be the last track on the album, which is probably like 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. 
But that's when the shit's hitting the fan in the movie where you get that, you know, it's creepy as all fuck and Mm -hmm. it makes your hair stand up. Yeah. You know, but it's, um, yeah, I 100% love listening to the fog when I write. Yeah. And again, it's another one like Christine where it doesn't sound like anything else Carpenter did. Uh Uh-huh. Agreed. It's a very strange. Yeah. Eerie soundtrack. It's like you can hear it and a note. And you know exactly mm-hmm. what movie it's from. Yes. It pairs incredibly well with the visuals. Right. Yeah. I especially like, uh, I forget the name of the track. It's the the moment where Tom Atkins and Jamie Lee Curtis are in the lower deck uh-huh. of the ship where his friends disappeared. And he's telling her that story about the coin his dad found. Just that low, eerie score. Yeah. You know, it's not much. No, it's very faint. Very faint. It adds something to it that's so scary. Mm-hmm. It's another soundtrack that's impeccably paired with the film. Yeah. It's and you know what? I would love to pick some of these composers' brains about that because it's like, especially composers that are either have worked with these filmmakers or the filmmakers are the composers themselves. Sure. And it poses the question, did you have this in mind while you were making this? Mm. You mm-hmm. know, like, or did you just make it and know you're... I'll be able to whip up something that's going to really add to this scene. Just me not being a musician, I almost feel like I'd have to watch the movie and play with notes as I watched. Because that's what I was thinking. And that's the thing. Like you said, it's a good point. If you're the filmmaker, writer, director, and composer, who knows what's rattling around in your brain as you're writing? That's pretty cool. Yeah. But that's something I would love to find out. Yeah. I would yeah. love to find yeah, out. Yeah, that would be cool. Especially with John. Especially with John Harrison? Carpenter. Oh, a Carpenter. Carpenter. Yeah. You know, just Carpenter because... for sure, because no two are alike. No, that's the point. You it's know, that's... so Yeah. Because cool. it's like, I would probably have my answer if they all sounded the same. Sure. You know, so it almost seems like, no, this guy knows what he's doing in his head music-wise yeah. while he's making the film. Right. He knows what he's going to make. I mean, I, I could be completely wrong, but but the fact that they are so different from one another, it almost feels like in his mind while he's writing this, he's like, this is how the sound is going to come out. This is this is the score. I would love to know that for yeah, sure. I would because too. honestly, I have to have music to conjure images and not the other way around. Right. You know what right. I mean? Like, yeah. It's inspiration. And like what well, you were saying, you can't listen to music with lyrics while you write. Whereas me, if I'm writing something particularly aggressive, mm-hmm. something mean, something ugly, I'll put on metal. I need that, you know, yeah. I need that really hard, nasty. Yeah. But if I'm writing something scary, I go to scores. Yeah. And it's not like scary violent, just like I want that eerie ambience to put me in it. Right. And uh, the fog creep show. And I know it's a little off topic, but anything by Midnight Syndicate. Oh, yeah. Very ambient, very creepy. But they were a go-to for me as well for writing. Right. Midnight Syndicate almost couldn't fail me. Yeah. I, I remember one time I was writing the Vinyl Redemption short. Okay. And there was a scene that actually I took out of the movie because I felt it was too mean. Okay. Okay. But it, it was funny Just because... Kind of didn't match the tone? It, it, it didn't make sense. Okay. Um, but it was funny because I had hit up Adam Green mm-hmm. and I was like, hey, I'm writing this scene. Um, I need something hardcore. Yeah. And he was like, oh, yeah, no problem. And he's definitely one. He's got his soundtracks. Like, <laughs> yeah. His record collection is nuts. And he literally was like, anything by Deicide. Oh. And I put it on and I was like, 
this is scary. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I can't. Yeah, I know. And, and when I, I tried it, and I even told him after I was, I was just like, thanks, but yikes. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes! Because it, yeah, it, it. I mean, don't get me wrong; it fit with the scene. Sure, it was just so like drilling in my head too much. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's actually what made that scene mean. It could be, you know. And then actually, when I went back and I and I read it, I was just like, okay, no, I gotta, I gotta take the scene out. Yeah, it took you right into something else. It, it did. No, I understand that. Yeah. I definitely understand that. One of the ones for me, I'd written a script. I've told you about this one. It was sort of my monster one. Uh-huh. A bunch of converging stories. There's a big fight scene in a cemetery between two monsters. And the song that I used to write it to was uh, Chaos BC by <laughs> Sepultura. <laughs> okay. It's so tribal and so mean and just it just it sounds like tribal drums in a stadium full of people stomping you know what i mean it's just such a aggressive fight song yeah and uh unlike yours where it maybe pushed you too far <laughs> i've had people read that fight scene and they're like that is fucking awesome and i'm like you have no idea the beats I was listening to when I put this together, they're yeah. just like, it's nasty. Like, yeah. it's a brutal fight. And I'm like, well, it's two monsters. Yeah. You know, they're not going to slug it out like Piper and Keith and they live. You uh -huh. know, I'm like, this is going to be mean, you know. Yeah. And I was like, that one. And then another one I think I did was Bleed by okay. Michigan, okay. which yeah. is just an assault of a song. Yeah. And th that was on his list, too. He sent me like, like, like four. Oh, he and had Bleed on there? Yeah. 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 Meshuggah... Yeah. You can't fuck with that. Um, yeah, no, that is super cool. Um, yeah. The Fog, wonderful soundtrack. I love it so yeah, much. it's great. I'm going to pivot a little bit. One of my favorites that I will put in the car, and specifically, if you have it, the Collector's Edition, it has additional songs, and one of them is the one I lean on. Mm -hmm. uh, the Pulp Fiction soundtrack. What do two hitmen, one girlfriend, a boxer, and a secret suitcase have in common? That's a good question. The answer, the most entertaining film of the year. Pulp Fiction, rated R. Fucking fantastic. Obviously, it's not score, but there's a lot of just instrumental mm -hmm. music on there. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, uh, Miserlou is immediately puts you right into that oh, yeah. pulpy... Yeah, it's a surf music. It's, it's a stuff. party song. Surf music, exactly. Yeah. And then the Brothers Johnson, Strawberry mm -hmm. Letter 23. It's just so, it's amazing. And what's funny is I associate that one more with Jackie Brown. That's the scene where uh, Jackson puts uh, Chris Tucker in the trunk. Yeah. You know, and it's just, you immediately are right there. But Tarantino's, the impression he made with the, the soundtracks to his movies, I know a lot of it's very 70s, 60s and 70s. But if I'm writing something in the crime vein, I need that kind of tunage. Yeah. Because I've told you before, I grew up reading Elmore Leonard. And Elmore Leonard's books, you know, he did like Out of Sight, Get Shorty. You know, these are all ones that kind of lend themselves to that type of music uh -huh. as well. As much as a book can, you yeah. know. But for some reason, the Pulp Fiction soundtrack in particular... And again, Strawberry Letter 23, I think, is a bonus track if you got the anniversary one. Yeah. It's just a great soundtrack to listen to and write complex 
crime. You, you know, you know, yeah, almost I, noir. Yeah, I think I think Tarantino has an ability with soundtracks that a lot of filmmakers don't. They don't, and I think they try too hard to emulate it. They do. And just because you put a surfer song to your violence doesn't mean you're being hip or clever. Right. Or, you know. If you look at the complexity of where he places these songs yes. with the scenes. It's more methodical than just, this sounds cool, I'm putting it here. Right. There was a time where, just because of Reservoir Dogs, people would take an innocuous song and put it to something gruesome or violent, like, yeah. like he did with Stuck in the Middle. And you can't do that all the time. You no, can't. In you fact, can't. Tarantino's the only one who should Technically, yeah, you shouldn't do it. You know what I mean? Because yeah. now you, you're clearly just aping. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I like the weird vibe i get put in listening to pulp fiction because it takes me back to early 90s takes me back to when i was inspired to write stuff outside of horror yeah yeah it's it's weird that the type of transport that soundtrack puts Mm -hmm. in me and it makes me want to write pulpy gritty crime noir stuff yeah you know i mean it was am radio in the purest form it was you know it was and it it crosses a major gamut there's rock songs there's country songs there's the surfer stuff nothing poppy not at all nothing modern no but it's a solid 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 i mean i feel like we could actually do an entire show on tarantino's music catalog absolutely Easily. Which would be fun to do. It would be. From beginning to end. Absolutely. After his 10th. Ooh, we should wait until he's uh, giving yeah. us his swan song. Yeah. You think? Yeah. I think that would be a fun one to do. But, okay. So you got Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Okay. Did you have it? No, I didn't. Okay. I didn't. Because I felt like it was, it was just like too easy i thought so too but i'm glad you did it yeah because because at least we're on the we're on the same page yeah and it i did i questioned it a little bit but then i'm like you know i don't just listen to it because it's cool i yeah. listen to it because of what it evokes yeah that's a go-to for me i do have one it's a horror film mm-hmm. it is a cult classic but it's not your chainsaw massacre or your freddy or you know all of those guys but it is still it's a movie that when i saw it in the theater in 1982 scared the living shit out of me almost to exorcist level really yeah and that was the entity 20th century fox presents one of the most extraordinary cases in the history of psychic research the story of carla moran A story so shocking, so threatening, it will frighten you beyond all imagination. The Entity. Rated R. Under 17, not admitted without parent. Mm. And, Mm. of course, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, Charles Bernstein doing that theme. And I remember, because there there are lots of songs on the, on the soundtrack, but that particular theme that Bernstein that, did. That pounding one? Yeah. Like, oh, and he, they used it. It's, oh, oh God. I mean, it it's sick. Mm-hmm. It really is. And I'm, I'm sure that was the intention. That theme is um, aggressive. Very aggressive. And it just makes the entire assault so filthy. I like... I couldn't imagine it being used in something like I spit on your grave. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine how much nastier, you know, in the entity it works. And again, it's a testament to Hershey's performance. On screen, it's horrifying. But the music has to substitute the visual for a ghost. And it does. Terrifying. In a big, bad way. Terrifying. It definitely does. And I... Uh, 
That's one of the few ghost movies that makes me genuinely uncomfortable. No, it does. Yeah, it it is. It's very unnerving. It's funny that you said that when I really thought you were teeing up Poltergeist. Really? Okay, well, yeah, that makes sense. You said 82, and Poltergeist, did Carol Ann's theme, was that up for uh, an Academy Award? I believe it was. Just like the Amityville theme, the, the chorus of children. Yeah. And it's just so creepy and sad. I've always found Carol Ann's theme heartbreaking just because I associate it with the little girl who died, you know, but, uh, yeah, I thought that's where you were going. Oh, really? Yeah. But when you said the entity, I was like, Oh yeah. You know, it's, (laughs) and what's funny is you mentioned the, the true case. So much of that true case is not even in the movie. It's so much scarier than what they shot. Mm -hmm. And yet the movie is still unnervingly disturbing. It is. Despite the fact that they could have made it even scarier. Yeah. Based on that. I mean, I feel like, that might have been budget. Probably. You that know, makes sense. You know, I, I think it might have been budget where it's like, we got to really drive it home with score, you know, because I mean, yeah. you know, even the the effect, the prosthetic she wore. Was, oh, you're talking about the scene where she's on the bed? Yeah. I was like, oh my God, this is fucking awful. It is. Yeah. You know, as a kid, I was like, I want to go home. I don't well, want to be in here. And uh, yeah, it was basic. When I, when I think of that scene, the behind the scenes to that one, it's very Friday the 13th. Yeah. Um. I just think of Kevin Bacon in the bed. Yeah. I bet you do. I d- of course. I wanted that joint. Um, <laughs> my next one is, uh, we mentioned the soundtrack that just sounds kind of like noise, like The Shining. Uh, this one is Carl Zittrer's Black Christmas. <laughs> Remember those idyllic scenes out of your childhood? Crisp winter nights, sleigh bells, crackling yule logs. Remember those. Remember them well. After Black Christmas, they'll never be the same again. Black Christmas. If this movie doesn't make your skin crawl, it's on too tight. Rated R. From the 70s. Okay. Um, For one thing, the soundtrack creeps me out because basically he takes regular Christmas caroling and dials a warp into it to make it sound weird. It's distorted. It's distorted and kind of drawn and haunting. And it's really weird, but a lot of the stingers in that movie just sound like he took a weight and dropped it on the piano. Yeah. And it's jarring. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it just, you hear notes, right? There's no real music, but it's just, you know? Yeah. And it's unsettling. Right. Because so much of that movie is very quiet. Uh-huh. And uh, you almost forget that the carolers are kind of painting a mood. And when he distorts it, particularly during the scenes where you're in Billy's point of view, it's almost like this is what carolers sound like in his warped head. Yeah, you know, and what what what's funny is you could almost people could argue that the score is lazy because it just kind of sounds. I always think of the scene where um, uh, Kier is it Dula? I, f- I forget how you say his name. Is from two thousand one, the Olivia Hussey's boyfriend. Okay, um, when he bombs at his recital, you got that scene where he like picks up a mic stand or something and starts beating the piano chords, the strings inside. Uh-huh. That's kind of what the score sounds like but it fits it's a weird distorted clanging 
and it's it's shining like in my opinion okay in that regard yeah but what i like about it is the score is used so sparingly when it does hit that weird jarring you know Uh uh-huh it's jolting it wakes you up like oh fuck you know the guy's he's still in the house right right (laughs) yeah so it's it's a very minimalist soundtrack very minimal but it's very effective it's it's a weird one to drive around listening to (laughs) it really is because it's just like i said it's almost not music Uh uh-huh but when you watch the movie and you hear it, it's it gives it an air of eeriness that it probably wouldn't have. Right. If they just went for traditional holiday music. Right. You know just what that I mean? distorted atmospheric sound. Yes. Yeah. It feels like you're in a madman's mind, a broken mind. And uh, that's I love that score, uh-huh. uh, scant as it is. Yeah. I have one I know you're going to agree with. Harry Manfredini's Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th is a story of madness carried beyond its limit. It is a film that is not recommended for the very young or for people who are prone to nightmares. Friday the 13th, you may only see it once, but that will be enough. Friday the 13th, rated R, under 17, not admitted without parent. Seeing Friday the 13th as a kid, Mm -hmm. I wasn't able to grasp much like when I when I saw it in a theater and just like these little core memories that I took from the movie um, were very faint. Like the just I mean it's almost as, I'm sure like the same thing like a lot of people take like the mom's voice like yeah. things like that. But what really stood out to me was that score, yeah. that sound, and then just the darkness of the woods. Yeah, you know, and that total helpless feeling well what's funny is there's moments in that soundtrack that sound so tranquil and it's deceptively tranquil Mm -hmm. which is scary yeah and i'm not even talking about the end the boat yeah you know the synthy i'm just talking about like when someone's walking through the woods or whatever and you get kind of a twinkling sound yeah you know it's eerie without being oppressive until he gets the strings in there, you know, the, the hard. And those strings that Manfredini uses. It's scary. It is. You know. It is, yeah. In a way that Halloween isn't. Everyone on Friday the 13th is freely admitted. We were just ripping off Halloween. Well, you could have ripped off the score too. You could have, part of what makes Halloween so scary is its score. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing about it like yeah. Halloween. It's yeah. very almost Bernard Herrmann. Oh, yes. You yep. know? Yep. It does its own thing. Yeah. But Harry, he he finds a way to blend tranquil with sinister. And I think that's why it was so iconic. I agree. Know? And he also played it like John Williams in Jaws. There's scenes where someone's watching and you don't hear the score. Well, that's your false scare. That's that's a dipshit with the, uh, the headdress on yeah. running around. But when it is yep. the killer... Yep. Um, the score follows. It, and yes. You know they're being watched by someone they don't know. Yep. And they're going to attack. Mm-hmm. What I like about Manfredini is he scored every Jason movie, with slight exception. They're all very different. They are. He kept the theme, but some are meaner than others. Some are goofier than others. Like yeah. Part three's the disco one. It's fucking hilarious. It is. That's, I, I love it. I, I love it too. Great. I, like, I think I told, I don't know, maybe I didn't tell the story. We were going to lunch. We jumped in my car and 
part three was queued up. <laughs> and it was really funny. Was that on purpose? Oh, yeah. No, I was dicking with you him. You were dicking yeah, with him? Yeah, I was dicking okay. with him. Because he's just like, ugh, you know, every time <laughs> he talks about it. But I fucking genuinely love it. I do, too. And... God, it was so fucking funny. He's just like the whole time looking at me and shaking his head. And I'm talking windows down, music <laughs> blasting. And he's just like, what the fuck is wrong with you? you? Asshole. And we pulled into the restaurant <laughs> and like we, we shut off the music and he's just like, thank God, I thought it would never end. <laughs> like it was, it was funny. It I was, don't understand because to me, Friday three, that's the party movie. Oh yeah. It's just a popcorn. Oh, yeah. It's fun. It's yep. goofy. And that theme... It's my favorite one of the whole series. Three? Yes. It's one of mine. I think my favorite seven, the new blood. I see why. I, uh, I definitely see why. But even that score is heavier. It's meaner. It is meaner. Yeah. Uh but part three is it's the fun one. It is fun. More so than six. Yeah. Even though six was literally trying to be comedic, you know. Part three was just the fun movie. It and was. That, that disco score mm-hmm. is a riot. Yeah. I fucking love it. I mean, I was so like happy that I was able to see it in the theater. In 3D? In 3D. Nice. nice. And I was just so... Because I'd only seen two on in the theater. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't see one. No? In the theater. No. I've no. since seen one. Okay. In the theater. In the theater, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, no, I have two after. Yeah. But like in the initial run, it was two on up. Uh, I think the first one I saw at the theater was Jason Goes to Hell. Okay. But that was because I was so little mm-hmm. when the majority of those came out. Right. In fact, I was born the year the third one came out. Okay. And I wasn't at the time allowed to watch slasher movies. Right, yeah. And, you know, at that time, even my cool uncles who would sneak me into scary stuff... Still too young for these. But by the time Jason Goes to Hell came out, I was like, you want to go see this one? Yeah, yeah. Let's go see it. You know? So that was my first theatrical Jason movie. You know, it, I know Freddy does it, but there was something sinister about Jason where he would almost like jab him a bit. You know, he, he would like not poke fun, but it was like he was taking real joy. And it was like, it was like a, almost like a... Uh, a cat with a mouse mm-hmm. and it was almost comedic at times. Sure. You know, and I loved that about Jason because he was fucking mean. He was. And it really showed like, well, in the kills. You killed his mom. Yeah. I'm going to take it out on everyone. Yes. You know. Yes. Yeah. Something about that third movie just kills me. My favorite shot literally is when Dana Kimmel puts the ax in his head mm-hmm. and then his hands and he come does out. The- and she screams, no. Yeah. It's just out of sheer disbelief. Yeah. Like, I can't fucking believe it. <laughs> it's I. It's just one of my favorite moments. I yeah. love that shit. It was good. I'm going to segue back to Creepshow for a minute. Okay. Only because up until a few years ago, the Creepshow 2 soundtrack was never released. Yes. Waxwork got a hold of it, thankfully released it. And that has become one of my favorite scores as well. Okay. Creepshow 2. Welcome to Creepshow 2. Stephen King and George Romero are at it again. So walk. Run. One more step and blast. Swim if you have to. But whatever you do, don't take your time. Because the scares come twice as quickly in Creepshow 2. Rated R. We'll be seeing you. (laughs) Starts Friday, May 1st at a theater near you. The reason I say that, it's nothing, nothing like 
John Harrison score from the first one. Uh, there's no piano, uh, moderate synth. This one's a little more electric guitar. Uh-huh. The opening theme is very synthy, but this one's by Les Reed and Rick Wakeman. Okay. Another one where each story has its own flair. Old Chief Woodenhead has kind of a sad westerny sound. When the Indian's on screen, you get your tom-toms and, you know, everything matches what it's supposed to. The Hitchhiker, because she's a snobby bitch, it's, you know, the high violins, very snobby music. But the one that stood out to me, I remember driving out to an appointment. Okay. I'm listening to it in my car. Because I managed to find it at a convention. It was, uh, I'd already bought the limited edition vinyl. Okay. So I had it, but I'm like, I want to listen to this in the car. How do I get, how do I get to listen to it in the car? And at a, at a convention, someone was selling CD bootlegs. Uh huh. So I bought that too, just to hear it as I went somewhere. It was amazing hearing the opening theme because it's so weird. It's a weird theme, but it was fun to listen to in the car but the one that stood out as I was going to this appointment was the raft. And what's funny is the raft probably has the most creep show esque score. It's got that spooky, you know, kind of like the Jordy Verrill, but without watching the raft and just having the isolated music, I found myself really unnerved by it because it's this, it's pretty much just a layer of low synth nonstop with little highlights in between and then little weird watery sounds. And I just remember thinking, weirdly enough, it reminded me of like a shockumentary score that just sounds creepy. What was funny was Creepshow 2 never scared me. That one, it's more mean-spirited than the first one. It's kind of the asshole younger brother, (laughs) but it's a fun movie. Problem is... It never genuinely scared me. There's moments in the raft that are very unsettling, but the score almost made it scarier when I heard it isolated. Oh, There's a lot of nuances, in, and I believe that's the Wakeman portion of the soundtrack. I think Les Reed did everything else. Rick Wakeman was given the raft. All right. And without the distraction of visuals, just to listen to the score, it's very creepy, very unnerving. I had a whole new respect for that soundtrack as a whole, mostly because of that. That's like two or three tracks of just that score. And it gets more intense. Obviously, you know, by the time he jumps off the raft or when people are being eaten, it heightens up and goes, you know, it almost does the real nine thing from the fog. But it's, it's the quieter moments that are like, feels very weird. Yeah. And if you haven't heard it, I suggest you do. Because it just doesn't sound right. I almost can't marry it to the film. Wow. It's in the film. Yeah. But because there's so much going on, you don't really get to appreciate it. And listening to the score on its own, I just remember pulling into the parking lot and like waiting for the track to end. I'm just listening. I could have just went in. Yeah. It was weird the feeling it gave me in the pit of my stomach. And wow. I just, I love it. Yeah. It's because it scared me, you know, it genuinely put me off kilter a little bit. So, you know, props to Waxwork Records because. And that's a beautiful. Release. Oh, this. Oh, yes. The gatefold. The gatefold's amazing. Uh, yeah. I don't, I think, did you get all three designs? Yeah. I got the raft one, like the, the teal with the black. In yeah. The middle. It was, yeah, it was super cool. Yeah. There was the yellow one. 
there was and the, the yellow one I think was for Hitchhiker because Chief Woodenhead looked like wood, didn't it? Like a mahogany yeah. type. That was a great triple threat right yeah, there. It was. But, uh, yeah, it was. Yeah, if if you have that soundtrack, because again, that one I don't think that's on Spotify. I don't yeah. think you could just listen to it. Maybe YouTube. Maybe uh, I think so it is on YouTube. Somebody probably ripped it. I think it, it is on YouTube. But yeah. the the raft tracks in particular, give them a listen without the benefit of visual. Yeah, and tell me what you think. Yeah, because I was surprised at how how much it got under my skin, because I couldn't associate. I, it's just it was so weird. I couldn't marry it to the visuals that I know went with those moments. Right. It just sounded like it was from a completely different movie, and was far more ominous than even the film it's from. Yeah. You know? So that was an interesting one that I had to throw in there because it's just... But when when a soundtrack can do that, you got to take note. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm going to go back a ways. Okay. It's uh, Psycho, 1960. Alfred Hitchcock's greatest shocker. No one admitted except at the beginning. Psycho, rated M. Suggested for mature audiences. Bernard Herrmann. Wow. Mm -hmm. Like, wow. Just the drive up. Yes. Like, after she pulled her shit, you know, on her man and she's going up. You're talking about the dun, dun, Uh, dun, dun. Surprisingly scarier and more intense than the shower scene. Hands down. Because that's what everyone thinks of. Hands down. No, Mm -hmm. I think of that. Immediately people think of the shower scene. I think of, no, I think of that drive up. No. That's even, if I'm not mistaken, isn't that the opening credits too? Mm Mm-hmm. When yeah, the, that's the opening credits. The, the yeah. title's kind of zipping yep. back and forth. Yep. Yeah, that's super yeah, awesome. Yeah, that same thing. Like, I just, I'm a big fan of strings. Yeah. You know, I love, oh, I love that it's stuff. It's wonderfully you know? orchestral. Yeah, you it know, is. It's, it really and is. And it sets the exact tone yep. for that film. Everyone thinks of the high strings when it comes to Psycho, but yeah, you know, that, no. that, that almost march, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's really fucking good. Yeah. I love no, that No, it is. Shit. That was... And then another one, real quick, and this is my last one, and this is uh, um, obviously, and I'm sure it's on yours as well, but it's Dawn of the Dead. In 1968, George Romero brought us Night of the Living Dead. It became the classic horror film of its time. It gets up and kills. The people it kills get up and kill. Now, George Romero brings us the most intensely shocking motion picture experience for all times. Dawn of the Dead. This situation must be controlled before it's too late. They are multiplying too rapidly. Night of the Living Dead has ended. Dawn of the Dead is here. Not that room, not that room! They must be destroyed on sight! Dawn of the Dead. This picture contains scenes of violence that may be considered shocking. No one under 17 will be admitted. Dawn of the Dead. From United Film Distributing Company. I didn't put it. Really? But, but I love it. I yeah. do. Okay. Are, now, are you talking about the library cues or the goblin? You know, I'm going to have to actually say all of it. Well, I'm going to say all of it because they're hand in hand. They are. I Pretty think, much like your Christine. I think so too. They're hand in hand. Yeah. Like they really are. Like, I mean, just all the sounds of like when they're turning on yep. all the power in the mall. Just the weird... <laughs> These just weird little almost, blips and almost beeps goofy and noises. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's very childlike. Yep. Theme parkish carousel stuff, you know. And well, even the end credits, it's just. Yeah. And it's like 
this is so fucking absurd. yeah it, yeah it is you know? but you know what but and yet it's two hours of it's, pure carnage it's pure carnage <laughs> it's so dark it is you know and i and i think that's it's something that actually adds another layer to the film that if he had just put scary dark music I don't think it would have worked as well, but having no, this type so of music in there, it just adds another level of fear yeah. to this movie. Cause it's almost like it doesn't give you a chance to get comfortable No, because the music is just like, what the fuck is going on? Like yeah. I'm seeing something, but then I'm feeling something different mm -hmm. than what I'm seeing. And it's like a total mind fuck. And this is mostly after like the score when they go to the basement of the apartment. Complex yeah. Yeah. Way like, after dum, that. Dum, I mean, dum, yeah. Dum, 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 yeah. Dum, you know? Yeah. Uh, I think it's when they're hovering over the mall. Yeah. And they land in, then it's then it's it kicks off. Yes. Into all of that. Yep. But, yeah. But yeah, the goofy the goofy library cues. I think they're great, it's, man. It yeah, the movie wouldn't it wouldn't be the same. It wouldn't be the same at all. If it was just some like take like a like a a creep show or a fog type score mm -hmm. and adding to it, it wouldn't I don't think it would work. Well what's funny, we were talking about John Harrison's creep show earlier uh -huh. and you kind of get what you're theorizing with day of the dead yes yes because it is a it's a much darker film not funny no like dawn no often is and uh you do get that score that's that i, I don't think there's any library music in that film mm -mm. i could be wrong i don't think there is but harrison really he kind of gave you the idea of what dawn could have sounded like and I think it would have changed the mood considerably. It would have. I it, don't know what he would have done with it. Yeah. I think it'd be kind of neat if he put out a limited release that you could play during the movie. I mean, that would be cool. Just to see. Yeah. Because, I mean, look, Dracula, Philip Glass mm -hmm. created a whole new score for the 31 Dracula. Uh-huh. And it's cool. It is cool. It's cool to have the option. Yeah. But I'm curious what John could have done with the first two films. Mm-hmm had he had his druthers and what it could have felt like if he was able to score all three. Yeah. Because the third, the, the day of the dead is strangely clinical. It's, yeah. It sounds, you know, almost like an eighties infomercial. It's strange. It's a strange otherworldly soundtrack. Yeah. But it's oppressive too, because of what you're seeing. Right. What could he have done for dawn or night for that matter that, library cues or goblin right couldn't. i'd be curious to see you know just that's a, pretty cool that's i never thought about track, that yeah i never know. thought of, we were listening to it today in the car yes we were i yeah. loved i loved yeah. it i i really enjoyed the day of the dead sound yeah no so do i so um i guess i got one more for us before we wrap it up okay and again it's another uh compilation album but it played a big part of my childhood when i was a, my teenage years okay and that's the Crow soundtrack. In a world without justice, one man was chosen to protect the innocent and to make the wrong things right. It's not a good day to be a bad guy. The film the critics are calling dazzling and fiercely hypnotic. Brandon Lee is sensational. A triumph. Brandon Lee. I love you. The Crow. Rated R, now playing at theaters everywhere. Jesus. track for track. Wow. Amazing, amazing, amazing. I mean, right from the opening Cure song, it just oh, sets a tone. Wow, yeah. Sets what, such a tone. Yeah. Dead Souls by Nine Inch Nails. Mm. Big Empty by Stone Temple Pilots, which I guess I had heard, my brother told me, they had actually done a different song for The Crow. And for whatever reason, they didn't use it and pulled the Big Empty from their 
Purple album. But again, that's another one where the music is so impeccably chosen. The one that really sticks with me and used to bring me to tears all the time, and I actually kind of avoided it. For I know a what it time. is. The Jane Syberry song. Yep. Difficult as fuck to listen to. And it's the last track on the fucking album. That's yep. what that's the track that you leave with. Yeah. Uh, if you're listening to it beginning to end. It, there's no way you can't disassociate it with the tragedy behind the film. Heartbreaking. And uh, it's it's a beautiful song. It is. But I can't listen to it. And if I'm surfing through that soundtrack, uh, I skip it every time now. Mm-hmm. Just because it fucks me up. It, it is really very fucks tough. It is very, very tough. But it's... Uh, that's a soundtrack that has emotional resonance with me. Yeah, uh, uh, same. There's a strange feeling that washes over me every time I listen to any of the songs on that soundtrack. Right. Whether it's just admiring the film it came from, to the darkness the movie presents, mm-hmm. to the the sadness of the entire endeavor. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a soundtrack that's it's a hard one to shake. But it's every track is just so fucking good. Yep. So fucking good. That one's kind of a titan in my collection as far as the compilation soundtracks are concerned. No, I you feel know? the same way. That, that one just, to me, that's my 90s, you know? Yeah. That's that's my junior high soundtrack. Yeah. And that was not a positive no. era of my time, you know? I can but, see that. But that soundtrack was a retreat for me, yeah. as I'm sure it was for many, many Yeah, no, people. it's a it's a beautiful soundtrack. It is. That was my last one. I, I I'm... I'm Really kind of proud that we didn't overlap too much. We kept it pretty... Yeah, well, that's cool. The variety was nice. Yeah, no, that's cool. I think it was a, another fun one. Yes, it was. It <laughs> Informative. Was we got to nerd out a bit. Yes, we did. And if uh, if you're into music and soundtracks, hopefully we gave you enough stuff to hunt. Yeah. Hunt them down, you know. Yeah, and then maybe we can try to put together some sort of... Even if it's not on Spotify, just maybe some sort of list. track list from this that we can put out that people can, you know, oh, I'll go find this myself. Solid. Like, well, compile, yeah, compile YouTube, something. YouTube alone will have all of them, you know, regardless of rarity, cost, whatever. But yep. yeah, I think it would be cool if you uh, if you guys went out there and, you know, hit us up at uh, 5195podcast at gmail.com, our Instagram. Uh, let us know what you think. What soundtracks kicked you in the heart you know what i mean or scared you or inspired you um these are just a few of ours we could probably have done a whole nother show oh we could have yeah we could always do soundtracks part deux. yeah somewhere yeah. down the line but yeah that should give you guys enough material to hunt down and enjoy i agree all right man well until next time see you guys